You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If it is your first time with us, welcome. Um, though we do have a, a, a few more people here than normal, this is going to be basically a typical Sunday for us. Every Sunday, actually, we come and we celebrate Jesus. Uh, we believe that the resurrection doesn't just change one day a year or even one day a week, but it transforms everything in our life. And so every week we come and we sing like we just did, and then uh, me or another one of our pastors will get up and we will preach uh, the gospel, and we will just celebrate uh, Jesus even more in another song after this is over and through communion. And so if it is your first time with us, welcome. We don't expect anything from you other than you just relax and uh, expect to hear from Jesus. We're not going to have you to stand or do anything weird, um, right? So just uh, come and, and be comfortable uh, knowing this is a safe place for you. If you are a sinner, if you are imperfect, welcome to the club. Uh, we're all just a bunch of imperfect people standing in the need of one perfect Savior together. Amen? So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Um, we're going to actually start in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or uh, a hard copy with you, don't worry about it. We'll put the words on a screen. Um, but we're going to be starting in verse 14, and I'm going to read down to actually verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Uh, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the first fruits, then his coming, those who belong to Christ. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you for your word that is true and it is alive. And I pray that right now through your spirit that you will take this message and that you will make it alive in the hearts of every man and woman in this room and that you will transform our lives for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. The Easter Bunny. Um, no offense, but of all the monumental mascots, and by monumental mascots, I'm talking about, you know, Santa Claus, Father Time, Mother Nature, Cupid, all, of all the monumental mascots, the Easter Bunny, in my mind, is the worst, okay? No offense, those of you who love the Easter Bunny. Um, uh, here's what I mean by that. If you're ranking the mascots on a level of believability, I think, for me at least, the Easter Bunny has to be the bottom of the barrel, okay? Um, now, if we were going to make a list, a top ten, if you will, I think we would all agree that number one has to be Santa Claus. Okay, Santa Claus, think of all of these figures, is the most believable. Um, for me, number two, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but it's going to be the Tooth Fairy. Okay, 
And the reason it's a tooth fairy is because my mom really played off the tooth fairy very well for me. She actually made for me and my brother tooth fairy pillows uh, that had a little like a slot in it where whenever I lost my tooth, I would, you know, take a little bitty tooth and I'd put it in that pocket. When I'd wake up in the morning, I would have dollar bills, y'all. Like it was awesome, right? For the tooth. Now, some of you, you have a really bad tooth fairy experience. Like you went to bed, you put your tooth in there, you came up and you had change, (laughs) which is awesome. You're like, gee, 10 cents. Thanks a lot, fairy, right? Like... It's not really that helpful, right? So Tooth Fairy, not a great experience for you. But I put number two for me on my list. Number three may also come as a shock for you. I'm going to put the baby stork at number three. And here's the reason why. Because until I was at least a good eight or nine years old, I believe the only logical explanation for my existence was a bird with wings dropped me off at my parents' house. Okay? And again, like I believe that for quite some time. And so I'm going number three. But, you know, our list might be different. But I think we can all agree today, if we're going to be honest, At the bottom of that list has to be the Easter bunny because let's just be honest, guys. This isn't even a bunny. Like, this is a mutant, right? Like, (laughs) this thing walks on two legs, carries a basket, and drops eggs with chocolate goodies inside of them, right? Like, I think the Easter chicken would have made a lot more sense, right? Your kid goes and sits on a chicken. You get up. There's like an egg, and then he gives them to the kid. Like, that makes a lot more sense to me. But somewhere along the way, somebody said, we need to take Easter to the next level with the Easter bunny, right? And I think as we get older, the more absurd the Easter Bunny seems and the more unbelievable the Easter Bunny seems. And, and, you know, that's fine when it comes to the Easter Bunny. But here's my fear today is that for some of us, we treat the resurrection of Jesus like we treat the Easter Bunny. And that the older we get, the more absurd and the more unbelievable this story seems. And again, though it's okay with the Easter Bunny, what Paul shows us in this story is if we do not believe the resurrection... If we do not see it as more than fiction, it absolutely devastates our life. He says in verse 14 and 15 that if Christ did not raise from the dead, he says our faith is in vain. He says in verse 19 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are to be more pity than anyone else in the universe. For Paul, the resurrection is not some... Just a little cute story that we tell once a year, and we all come together in our, our, our pastels, and right, we get some warm and fuzzies. Like, no, like the, the, the resurrection story is true. The resurrection story, Paul says, changes absolutely everything. And he says, you know that it's true for two reasons. For one, right, Paul says in here, right, that, that he said uh, that, that you know it's true because Christ appeared to all these different people at all these different times. We think, right, when it comes to the resurrection, that that people back in this day were just absolute idiots. But nobody was walking around believing people got up out of the grave. It would be just as weird as if someone came in the day and said, hey, I was driving past Linwood, and someone got up out of the ground that was dead. Like, the majority of us are not going to go, really? That's amazing. We're going to be like, you're crazy. It's the same way back then. Like, Paul says, this is real stuff. And he says, I came to you in verse 1 to preach this gospel to you of first importance. Right? He says, I I came in verse 1 to remind you of this, and in verse 3, to remind you that this is the most important thing in all of life. For Paul, if the resurrection is not a top priority, if the resurrection takes second or third or fourth priority in our life, everything else seems to fall apart. And, And you know this is true if you just stop and think about it. I I mean, if you pursue comfort above anyone or anything else, you will not live a comfortable life. You will experience a lot of pain. You will pursue, you you won't be a disciplined person. 
Right? It takes discipline to excel in life and to experience health. Right? You won't be disciplined. You will pursue every single instant gratification that comes your way, even if it slowly kills you. You will not only hurt yourself, you will hurt others because you will never go deep enough in relationships. You won't take necessary risk in life. If you take approval and you list it up as number one in your life, the top priority, the approval of others, the praise for man, what will happen? You'll constantly be humiliated and embarrassed. You'll never really receive love because you will always be, be wearing a mask. You'll be presenting someone that's not really there, and that is the person who will be receiving the love and not you. Another example that I can use is our kids. And I know none of us are tempted to put our kids first above everything else, right? But if we were, right? again, the results are catastrophic. Because what happens when you make your kids the number one priority above everything else, including Christ? Either you spoil them and give them everything they want, and they grow up being lazy and self-entitled, or you crush them with your expectations, whether that be in academics or athletics. And as a result, you also yourself are crushed because they will never meet the expectations that you set for them. Paul says, I came and I proclaimed the gospel of first importance. Why? Because when it is no longer the top priority in your life, you will miss out on the life and the freedom and the joy that God has created you to experience. And you see, because Paul wants us to flourish, because he wants us to have a rich, a rich and a deep and abundant life, he says, I came to remind you of the gospel and to hold it out as a first importance. And then he tells us what the gospel is. Right? If you look in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you a first importance, while I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus stripped down to its bare bones. It is, as the great theologian Nacho Libre says, getting down to the nitty-gritty. Jesus Christ lived. And He lived a perfect life that none of us can live. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of a holy God. He, He then died He paid the penalty for our sins. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came and he took the death that was reserved for us. And then he was buried and then he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that we can now stand before God holy, blameless, and accepted. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And Paul says it again, as he resurrected, he didn't just appear to all these other people. Paul says in verse 8 through 10, he appeared to me. If you look in verse 8, he says, last of all, right? Yeah, last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, and worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul says, you want to know if the resurrection is legit? Look at me. He says to those who he's talking to, he says, you remember me. I wasn't just indifferent to Jesus. I hated Jesus. And I hated anybody who had anything to do with Jesus. And Paul says, if you want to know if the resurrection is legit, how do you explain this? How do you explain that I've gone from being a murderer to a missionary? How do you explain that? How do you explain 
how I've gone from persecuting the church to now planting churches. How do you think that happened, Paul? He said, I'll tell you, because though I was a doubter as well, I have now met the resurrected Jesus. He is alive, and as he says in verse 10, he's alive in me. And that's why I am the way I am. That's why I've been radically transformed. For many of you in here today, you have a testimony like this that you can celebrate. Even last week at our baptism service, as people went into the waters and through baptism, which represents they've been buried with Christ and raised to the newness of life, over and over, people got up and would proclaim with their mouths what the resurrected Jesus has done for them. If you were at the service last week, you would have been so blessed to see you know, Maddie, who is a 14-year-old girl who, like all teenagers, probably has social anxiety to stand in front of a crowd and speak, and yet she stands up and boldly proclaims the gospel. How does that happen? How do you explain that? How do you explain that three different married couples get up and testify of how they have all met the resurrected Jesus and he has changed their household? How do you explain whenever you have a girl who gets up and says, I built my whole life on being perfect, on being religious, on just doing the right things, but now I realize I can never be perfect enough, but I don't have to be because Jesus was perfect on my behalf, and now he not only I realize can save me, but satisfy me. How do you explain another man who gets up and says, I used to build my life on drugs, alcohol, and women, and, and I really thought those things would fulfill me, but now I realize only Jesus can do that. Because the only explanation is that Jesus really did get out of the grave. And when you meet the real resurrected Jesus, he changes everything. My hope and my prayers for some of you today who have not met this Jesus is that that will change that you will place your hope and your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that you will be freed from the penalty of sin, that you will feel forgiven, and you will go from feeling like you are far from God to having a personal and intimate relationship with Him. Paul says, how do you know Jesus got out of the grave? Look at me. And then he says, not only can you look at me and have evidence of this, not only can you talk to all these other witnesses, but he says in verse 3, this is the good news, and in verse 4, this is the good news that is in accordance with the Scriptures. What Paul is saying here is the resurrection, guys, is not some random event. It's not like some sort of posse came together and said, let's just kind of start some fairy tale and see if it'll catch fire. What what Paul says is this is the event that every prophet, every priest, every poet, every king, every human being in the entire Old Testament for thousands of years has been longing for ever since the fall of man. Jesus has come and fulfilled all of those things. Now, for those of us that are here today, we're familiar with pain, aren't we? We're familiar with suffering. You don't have to look very far to see evil and corruption. But as you know that there was a day when this was not the case. The Bible is clear that that there was nothing but there was God. And out of nothing, God created something. He created actually everything that is. He created the mountains and the oceans, the birds and the fish of the sea. He created the stars and the planets, everything that we see. And at the climax of his creation, he created Adam and Eve, male and female. And the Bible says that God then placed them in this garden and he declared over all of creation, he said, this is good. Can you imagine a world where everything is good? A world with no Chicago Cubs No disease, no stress, no pain, no funerals, no ambulances. A world with an unlimited amount of food and drink, all the bacon you can desire. 
a world where music is perfect. There's not a wrong note that has ever been hit. A world where there's no war, no injustice, no rioting. This is the way the world was created to be. It once was this way, but Adam and Eve decided that actually, you know what, we can rule, we can reign. We can be God. We can decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. In the Bible, this is called sin. It's living out of sync with God in the way He intended for life to be. And what we see in the story is when Adam and Eve decided to live this way, the consequences of living like this are absolutely devastating. Not only... Are they separated from a relationship with the holy God, the only God who is good, right, and perfect, and who alone can satisfy them? But we see their sin now ripples throughout all of creation, and everywhere we look, we see what? Death and destruction, fights and famine, pain and poverty. And though God could have easily left us in our sin, in His grace, He decided to take on flesh and blood. He knew that we could not save ourselves. We could not be good enough. And so Jesus came. He entered right into the middle of the mess, right into the middle of the darkness and the disasters and the disease, and He succeeded in every area that Adam has failed and we have failed. And then in the greatest act of mercy and love the world has ever seen, He came to rescue us from sin through His perfect life, His death, and his resurrection. Paul says this is a story that has been unfolding since the beginning of time. It is a story that is true, and it is a story that, if you believe it today, changes absolutely everything. What does it change? Paul tells us in verse 17 that one of the things that's changed is he says that it frees us from the power of sin. If you look in verse 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. For some of you this morning, you are constantly anxious. You're worried about your health. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your marriage. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about being worried. Life's just like choked out of you. For others, you're ate up with lust. You cannot love because you're so worried about, you're always thinking about consuming, taking from others that which does not belong to you. Some of you have a hair trigger temper. I mean, people have to walk on eggshells around you. You're so grumpy. Others of you in here, you're consumed with bitterness because of something that has been done to you. What Paul just said in verse 17, if Jesus did not get out of the grave, you're going to be stuck in those sins for the rest of your life. You will be enslaved by these things. They will absolutely drive you into the ground. But the good news is, because of the resurrection, we no longer have to live as slaves. Because of the resurrection, we can walk in a newness of life or we can experience the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that every single one of us in here are longing for. And Paul tells us how this happens in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. I don't know if I can, I'm going to have to turn there because I cannot see that unless uh, one of you want to stand up and read it. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. Paul tells us how this is possible. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You hear that? You're stuck in your sins. 
Verse 9, you, however, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, hear this good news, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if, please, hear this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who now dwells in you. Translation, if you are in Christ, you had the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead in you. I don't know what you're up against today, but if you're in Christ, the resurrection power of Jesus is up against it. You are more than a conqueror. You do not have to sit back in a defensive position just hoping to survive. I don't know what you're struggling with today. Maybe for some of you it's pornography. Maybe for some of you it's your past. Shame and guilt just steal. I mean, you're clothed in it. Some of you, you have things in your life that you feel like you cannot break free from. But listen, guys, there is power to break free. And all you have to do is tap into it. The resurrection, please hear me, is about victory. It is about power. And it is available to you and it is available to me. That's great news. But it gets even better than that because what Paul goes on to say is the resurrection is not just great news in our life. He says it's also great news in our death. If you look in verse 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Verse 18. And also, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, those who have fallen asleep, and he's talking about those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. What Paul is saying here is this. Guys, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you won't either. If Jesus didn't get out of the grave, you won't get out of the grave. When you draw your last breath on earth, and it may be sooner than you think for some of us, you will not wake up in paradise. You will go to the ground, you will rot, and you will decay. Can we agree that's probably one of the most depressing truths in the world, if that's a truth? Fortunately, this is not reality. Fortunately, what Paul says in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made, what? Alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here is this. All of us are born sons and daughters of Adam. Therefore, all of us are born in sin. Therefore, all of us will die. But if you trust in Christ, you can have hope that you will be made alive. Paul says that Jesus is our first fruits. Now, what does that mean? It would have made perfect sense to those in an agrarian society, but to us, we're like, what's the first fruit? Let me try to explain it like this. Now that spring is here, which doesn't it feel amazing outside right now? feels incredible, right? Some of you are like, I wish I was out there right now, actually. And so it feels amazing, right? Spring is here. When you walk out, right, you see that first bloom, that first flower. And what does that flower, what does that first bloom mean besides allergy season's coming? It means there's many more to come. That bloom is the first fruit. And what Paul is talking about here is Jesus is our first fruit. He's saying if you believe in him just as he came and lived and died and was resurrected, 
The same is true for many more who believe. For all who believe in him, you will live, you will, yes, die, but you will be raised from the dead. That's the resurrection hope that we have. And man, this is such good news this morning. Because it doesn't matter how much kale you eat. It doesn't matter if you cut gluten out of your diet, whatever gluten is. It doesn't matter if we do yoga or CrossFit or whatever else is out there. Those things are all great, but listen, our body is plagued with sin. We are breaking down. Sometimes my back hurts and I don't even know why anymore. Right? We are people who will die. And we will be buried. Or if you want to have your ashes like spread across Reynolds or Crowley's Ridge, if that's your style, you'll do that. But the great news is, for those who are followers of Jesus, is you will be raised and your bodies will be put back together in a way they were meant to be all along. You will live forever in God's perfect world, remade in this cosmic act of recreation. This is one of the reasons why my wife and I like to walk through cemeteries. And some of you like to laugh at us for doing so. And you think it's creepy. But when we walk through cemeteries, it reminds us that life is short. But as Christians, we're reminded that this is not all there is. And when we live with that perspective, it helps us to live with the gospel intentionality and it helps us have hope in the midst of storms. Some of you are experiencing storms this morning. Some of you, like this past year, you've lost not just one parent, but two parents. You've been hit by death. And listen, we should grieve death. But as a Christian, do you realize today we don't have to grieve without hope? Do you realize that for a Christian... Death is not an executioner, but a gardener. When death happens, it actually frees us up to experience the life that we have been longing for. When we experience death for a Christian, we then, after that experience, a life that is full and complete and perfect. And, and not just perfected like, in a spiritual sense. It's not like we're just going to be like just ghosts like, floating around in the celestial state. But, but the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that we'll be glorified, not just spiritually, but emotionally and Physically, all of us, the complete package will be totally remade and perfected. I was talking with Brian Wilkins this past week, who were eating at, uh, at Dairy Queen, and, and, and on that Monday, his daughter had been in the hospital at that point for 21 days in Children's Hospital in Little Rock. 21 days. Can you imagine your child being in the hospital for 21 days? And she had a bacteria in, in her lungs. And I'm talking with Brian. And I'm like, man, how are you processing all of this? And, and here's it. Uh, Brian's an honest guy, and he doesn't have to say this. I mean, there's no cameras around, just me and him eating our cheeseburgers and fries. And uh, so how are you processing this? And he just said, honestly, he's like, I hate it, but I've got peace because I know that God is in control. And in the end, he's going to be working this out for our good. And he said, actually, my prayer for my daughter through this whole thing has been that through this, that God will show her her own desperate need for Jesus. That's crazy talk if Jesus is in the grave. You know why Brian can pray that? Because he knows that though our health will fail, though doctors will fail, though our earthly parents will one day fail, Jesus Christ will never fail. 
Because he got out of the grave, he will stand the test of time and he will see us through the pain. And one day, just as he was glorified, we too will be glorified. Isn't it amazing to know, Steve, there's going to be a day where you will have perfect knees. And Tommy, there's a day where you will not need a wheelchair. You and I, brother, will run freely with Mike Matheny in heaven. (laughs) This is the great hope we have. That one day we will be made perfect and complete and we will enjoy the overflow of God's perfections for all eternity in a place that is free from the presence of sin. Christians, when you die, you do not lose. You win and you win big. This is why as Paul begins to come in for a landing in Corinthians chapter 15, if you look in verse 54, he says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Look at this. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All week I'm reading this and I'm just hearing like M83 or like explosions in the sky, like soundtrack in the background. And you're like, who's that? Just think like epic, victorious music. Like that's what's playing as I'm, I'm reading this. Because think about this. People in our society are scared to death of death. As Christians, we don't have to be. Because the resurrection tells us that Jesus has put the sting of death to death. He has laid death in its grave. And what that means now is, guys, in just a short amount of time, Just over the horizon, there is coming a day, if you trust in Jesus, where there will be no more brokenness, no more abuse, no more dysfunction, no more oppression, no more poverty, no more corruption, no more loneliness, no more evil. Every tyrant will be gone, and Jesus will drape his life-giving, healing rule over the shoulders of creation. Death will be gone forever, and we will reign in victory with Jesus. Some of you are going through a lot right now. Whatever you're going through, the resurrection promises us that we do not have to go through it without hope. Some of you I know, you're here and life is good. You can breathe out both nostrils. Congratulations. Your kids are healthy. You have plenty of money, plenty of food, and plenty of friends to celebrate life with. You're excited to be here. But then, is there not some of you here, if you can be honest, you had to drag yourself out the door today? I mean, after all, it is Easter, and goodness, if I'm going to make it to heaven, I should probably at least go on the day Jesus rose from the dead. You're here, but you're here out of obligation because you're thinking, man, I do not want to have to face that guy at work tomorrow who's been hounding me for three weeks about this. All right? I got to show up because my missional community or my family or my friends will give me the guilt trip if I'm not here on Easter. For some of you, life is hard right now. Maybe because of unemployment, maybe because of disease, maybe because of marital or financial crisis because you've lost someone you love. I mean, you're in a dark place and you honestly feel like your best days really are behind you. Some of you are here, you're depressed, you're incredibly anxious, you're tired, and you're weary. I'm telling you, what you need more than a pop psychology book, more than 
more than you need anything else, what you need is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in the resurrection, what we discover is that three days before Jesus got out of the grave, we see him bloodied and beaten on a cross. We see the darkest moment in human history. And listen, if God can take the darkest moment in human history and use it for your good and turn it to the most beautiful event in human history, why in the world do you think he's not doing that over and over and over again in your life with ease? This past few weeks, if I can just be honest, and I'm going to be honest anyway, I've always just been transparent. I might as well be on Easter, right? And so, like, um, the past few weeks have just been... I don't know how to say this. It's just been difficult for me um, on a spiritual level. Um, I haven't had an affair or anything like that. I'm just talking about like it's just, it, it's just uh, because of the busyness of life. And, and by the way, there's a lot of beautiful things going on right now, but just because of the busyness of life, it's just I've kind of felt my joy diminish in my relationship with God. And uh, my wife even said the day, she was like, you're being a pessimist. And I'm like, no, I'm just being a realist, which is really just a pessimist in denial, right? <laughs> and so... Um, And I've been so frustrated about this because when I first got into ministry um, 12 years ago, I was on staff with a pastor that I thought was one of the most negative people I've ever met in my life. And it's like, he, oh, everything was just so dark. And I just one day, was, I one day was sitting with him in his truck, and I was like, why are you always so negative? And he said, uh, well, son, when you're in ministry as long as I will, someday you'll be the same way. And I just thought, my God. Like, and, I, and I went home, and I was just like, I will never, ever be that guy. And then over the past few weeks, I started having these feelings where I'm like, I wonder if that's the way he kind of felt. I found myself growing in some ways over the last few weeks a little bit more cynical. And, and you know how it is when you're cynical? It's like no matter how bright the future is, like you make everything out to be dark, right? I mean, you're like the guy who wears sunglasses inside of a building. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like when it's just like, hey, not as cool as you think you are maybe. And you're making like everything around you much darker, the Holy Spirit said to me this past week, like, yeah, that's what you're doing. And maybe for some of you, that's what you're doing today. And what the Holy Spirit says is it's time to take off the glasses. It's time to look directly into the Son who came and lived a perfect life you could never live, who died a death you deserve to die, and then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell so you can stand before God holy, blameless, and accepted. When you believe in the resurrection, when you take this to heart, you not only receive resurrection power for today, but you receive a resurrection glory in the future. And only whenever this happens, Paul says, can we, can we begin to live this way? And who doesn't want to live this way? Verse 58, we're ending this morning. He says, you can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Some of you right now feel like you're tossed to and fro. You don't know if you're coming or you're going. You feel so unstable. Because of the resurrection, no matter how hard the winds blow or how hard the ground shakes, you can stand firm. And you can have hope that because Jesus did live, he died, he buried but was rose, or rose from the dead, that you one day will do the same. Only whenever you believe in the power of the resurrection can you then give your life to something that really counts. Don't we all want to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves? Some of you are building your lives on things, literally, 
your money, your time, and your energy, your thoughts, everything is going to something right now that will be in a graveyard or a junkyard 100 years from now. You're wasting your life. And today, Jesus invites you to something much greater. He says, instead of giving your life to something that is transient, that is here today and gone tomorrow, why not give your life to this mission, the mission of hope, of proclaiming this good news to others? Why not give yourself to this movement that he says even hell and death cannot destroy? That's my hope for us as a church. That's my hope for each of you. Some of you are here today and you are weary. You are trying to do things your way. You are trying to define who you think God is and what you think God should be doing and how he should be running this universe. And you know that is not working for you. Some of you in here are enslaved to sin. You are lost and without hope. And I'm just going to ask you this morning, what's your next move? Like, who told you that you should run your life? Who told you that's a good idea? Like, what is your next move? Where are you going to turn today? With all the love that is in my heart, I encourage you to turn to Jesus. You can do two things today. You can say yes to Jesus, or you can say no to Jesus. You cannot remain neutral. My encouragement to you today, maybe some of you for the very first time, is to realize that this is not a fairy tale that Jesus really is alive, and that through His Spirit, He is calling you to place your faith and trust in Him. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be perfect. The resurrection, Easter Sunday, is not about, hey, do better, right? Easter Sunday is not about, hey, things you have to do. It's about what Christ has already done for you. Some of you today need to trust in Him for the very first time. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. All. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter what anybody else says about you, if you want to mourn this morning, you can call upon the Lord. You can trust in His life, death, and resurrection. And when you do, you will discover how the resurrection changes absolutely everything. It changes your life. You can experience forgiveness now. You can experience freedom now. You can take a risk now because you're walking in power and you know you really have nothing to lose in the end. You can experience good news in your life. You can experience good news in your death. And ultimately, you will experience good news in your own resurrection. I'm going to ask as our band comes forward that we will stand together this morning. As our band comes, they're going to lead us in another song. But let's take some time and let's pray. And let's reflect together on this good news. Father, I do thank you so much for each person who is here this morning. Some who maybe have heard the gospel a million times. And what they needed, just as Paul said in verse 1... They need to be reminded of the gospel again. Would you please remind all of us in a fresh way of this gospel. For those who maybe have never heard the gospel, they didn't know it was good news, would you please, through your spirit, make it explosively alive in their hearts. Father, would you right now show them that you are where their hope is and ultimately you are all that we have. Father, we admit today we know that we are sinners. We admit that we know that we are failures. All of us in some way will fail. We will eventually break down, but we trust, Jesus, that you will always, always guide us through. I pray right now, Father, that through your Spirit, that you will call someone unto yourself for the very first time. 
that you will save them and give them the satisfaction they have been longing for. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.